You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. John, can hold on, kids. Stop, stop. Whoop, Sadie. Put on the brakes, Caleb. Put on the brakes. I want you to look here. I want the kids to see this too. Your pastor loves you. Okay, I'm your pastor. And a lot of times when I'm preaching to you, I'm telling you that you need to listen. You need to listen to the Word of God because I preach the Word of God. And sometimes I want everybody to listen. Kids, are you listening? Sometimes God will put something on my heart because I worry about you, your, my congregation, this congregation. And last week I told you that people running through lights could endanger the innocent. I told you that you need to be careful. And then I said, and you may not care unless it happens to you and the people that you love. Davion sent me this picture yesterday of this wreck right here from the church, down from the church. It is a reminder that not only as a pastor, but somewhat of a prophetic voice sometimes, I'm telling you, never go through a light in this city. I don't care, young people, if it's green. Stop, look both ways, because there are people in this city who do not care nothing about the law, and they can endanger you. So be careful. Kids, did you hear me say amen? Say amen. Idla's sitting here like she's seeing a ghost. Hey, I love you kids, okay? Your pastor loves you. But I want everybody to see this. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You can head to Children's Church. While they're doing that, I want to encourage you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 34. Title of the message last Sunday was When Dads Don't Man Up. And we looked at Jacob and the rape of his daughter Dinah and his reaction. This week, I've I've titled the message, What to Do When Your Family Faces a Crisis. What to do when your family faces a crisis. Now let's go back, look at Genesis chapter 34. We're going to not read the whole chapter, but let's read a portion. Now Genesis 34, beginning at verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. He raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved her. He loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamar, get me this girl as my wife. Now he's already raped her. Verse 5, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled. His sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamar, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. There's an immediate response by by the brothers. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Now, let me just fill you in real briefly. What happens is, is that this is uh, 
Simeon and Levi's sister. She has nine older brothers, and she's been raped in this Hivite territory. Jacob may be kind of what's slow to respond, her father, but her brothers are angry. So her brother, so the people of Shechem, they basically want Dinah and the Jewish people to intermarry and them just be one big happy family. So Simeon and Levi tell them, listen, we can't do that unless you're circumcised. So the people of this village, of this territory, they say, hey, listen, they got good-looking women, they got land, they got properties, they got all of this. So I tell you what we'll do, we'll give in on this circumcision in order that we can be a part of this larger group and have access to all the possessions that they have. So the men of that territory agreed to be circumcised. Now, while these grown men have been circumcised, and they're sore, and they're hurting, and they're unable to fight, Simeon and Levi go into the village, and they kill every man and boy who's been circumcised. They wipe out the entire village. Now, Jacob is upset, so let's pick up. Let's pick up there toward the end. Verse 30, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, who have now done this crime, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are, now watch this, see this, you got to remember this. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, notice now it's me, and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Verse 31, everybody there, say amen. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? In other words, raping her. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. We pray you'll speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Years ago, in fact, let me say this, Dr. Ron Herod. Dr. Ron Herod, who's now dead, he died of cancer. Uh, Dr. Ron Herod was Sheila and I's pastor when I was in school working on my master's in New Orleans at the seminary there. And we were members of First Baptist Church of Kenner. Dr. Ron Herod had more impact, influence in my life as a preacher and a pastor than anybody I know. He eventually left First Baptist Kenner. Now let me say this, they led the state of Louisiana I think 10 or 12 years in baptisms. This church under his leadership went from 400 to over 2,000. They built buildings. They affected the entire New Orleans area. But Dr. Ron Herrett left First Baptist Kenner, and he went to First Baptist uh, Fort Hood, Arkansas, if I remember correctly. He was there for a while when one day he and his wife and his family had gone to church, and his daughter, 15-year-old daughter Twyla, was going to be late so Twyla was going to catch up. She was going to be at church in a little while. She never showed up. Dr. Ron Herod, pastor, a friend I've known till his death. Dr. Ron Herod said they finally got worried. They went home, and their 15-year-old daughter had been raped. If the rape couldn't have been bad, it was made worse because she was pregnant. And Dr. Ron Herod, who is a strong, strong figure in the pro-life movement, and is still, until his dying day, a strong voice for pro-life, 
for those people who bring up rape or incest or these things. He said, we went through that pregnancy. He said, we caught all kinds of stuff from the community. You know, she was asking for it or this or that or whatever. He said, we went through all that turmoil around that. And he said, then Twyla gave this baby a life, gave this baby a birth. They put the baby up for adoption. He said months later he was preaching there at First Baptist Fort Smith, Fort Smith, Arkansas, not Fort Hood, Fort Smith. He was preaching there at the church when afterwards he went out into the foyer to shake hands with people. It was a big church and a couple came up and they were holding an infant seat, a little infant carrier. And they walked up and they took the baby, the mom took the baby out of the seat, was holding the baby in her arms and came up to Dr. Ron Herod and about that time, Emily, his wife, and Emily, our daughter's named after her. That's how close we were. Emily looked and she gasped and she said, Ron, she said, that's our grandbaby. She had no idea. Every mom listened to me. You know that maternal thing that you have that, that recognizes your baby's cry from everybody else's, Right? For nursing moms, you know what it is when your milk starts to come in, you're going to look for your baby. You know, it, uh, you, know. you know those things. You're geared biologically for your baby. She, as a grandmother, had that same instinct, knew immediately. That's our grandbaby. It was her grandson. And that mom and that dad who had adopted that little baby said, Dr. Ron here, we want you to see your grandson, and we want him to know his grandparents. You know, rape is a horrible thing to happen to anybody. And this is what happens here in Genesis 34. Jacob had settled in the Hivite territory. Uh, it says there in 34 verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. And that wording there always means, that phrase means, the Canaanite, the godless, uh, the women of the world. Now let me give you a principle you and I need to remember, and I wrote this down, children, parent, your children, and even your friends, church members, your spouse, your husband, your wife, should never, listen, should never be allowed to navigate this world without, your, without supervision, and by that I mean the spiritual maturity of the parent or the spouse, or the friend, somebody guiding them and holding them accountable. Ledge and I were sitting on the couch one day. He may not want me to say this. And he had my phone. I, we were looking at something. I was showing maybe a picture of a motorcycle or whatever. And he was doing something. Then he did something else. I said, what are you doing with my phone? I said, give me my phone. And, and we had a little bit of a tic-tac, you know, a little back and forth. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Dad, what bothers me is that you've always said as a pastor that you need to be accountable. Do you not want me to see what you're looking at? Do you not want me to see what's on your phone? And you know what? He was exactly right. Even though I am your pastor, I am accountable to you. And you're accountable to me. So the idea here of children, children should never be allowed to navigate the world without the authority of the parent watching over them, supervising them, and holding them to a level of accountability. And for all you parents that have college age, that's you too. That's you as well. 
Because college can be a breeding ground for everything that you stand against. So anyway, in fact, if you notice Jesus, you notice Jesus, Jesus is the only one that's ever alone. Right? He's got his disciples, James, Peter, James, and John. He, he'll go off alone. But even when he sends out, you remember when he sends out the disciples? How did he send them out? Everybody, two by two. Hold them up. You're not doing a peace sign. You're two by two. Right? That's what you teach your kids. So, here again, we have Jacob, and Dinah goes out. She's trying to navigate the world. Now, everybody looked this way. She was probably 15 years old. She had no business in this situation. And when you're raising children, sometimes you have to deal with that defiant, rebellious, know-it-all teenager by reminding them you don't know everything. In fact, you know very little. And you're accountable to me. Well, if you, if you go back, she is, is getting called up in that world. You know, James 4, 4 says this. He said, do you not know that being the friend, the world's friend, he uses the Greek word philia, uh, philos. He even uses a definite article here, the world. He says, if you're a friend of the world, in other words, if you find yourself loving the things of the world, listen to what James says. He says, you're an enemy of God. So if you find yourself in love with the things of the world, you're captivated, you're consumed. You spend all your time on the things of the world. God says you're my enemy. That's why you and I need to be two by two. We need children to be going through. You know, yesterday Sheila and I were sitting in nukes and all of a sudden I saw this little guy coming across there just grinning from ear to ear and it was Titus. Now here he was in nukes. Now Bethany was standing in line at nukes making the order. But here's Titus coming. You know the first thing I was looking for, who's he with? And right behind him, Caleb was with him. Two by two. And you see, this is what Jesus is saying. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said in this Sermon on the Mount, talking about what James said in 4, 4, he said, no one serves two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now listen to what the Amplified Bible says. You cannot serve God and mammon, money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever you value more than you, devour, than you value the Lord. In other words, Dinah got called up. The bright lights, the world. 15-year-old girl captivated by this good-looking guy that was telling her exactly what he wanted her to hear in order to do what he wanted to do. You know, Dad, you're the front line against your daughter being abused, being sexually molested, promiscuous guys that they're, they're, hey, you know what their goal is? Their goal is to get your daughter in the backseat of a car, to get your daughter in a place where she'll compromise everything that you poured into her. I love what Gary Bolin said. You remember Gary Bolin was here? Gary Bolin is a man's man, big old arms. I think it was Gary that told me one day that he had, un, he had a guy coming to pick up his daughter, his only daughter. He wasn't sure about the guy. And he said that he took those things out of the, that hang the door, the, the, the part that hangs the door. He took those pins out, all three of them. And, you know, if you open it carefully, they, they don't, they, it won't come off. 
And, and, and Gary said he, he walked up to that door and he pulled that door open and he just pulled it back and the door just came off the hinges. And he looked at that boy and said, what do you want? He said, oh, I'm here to pick up your daughter. You know, that's what Dinah needed. Parent, your children can't navigate the world without you. And there needs to be a high level of accountability. I wrote this down. You know, sometimes you can't boycott everything, every place. They were living in the Hivite territory. Now, they weren't supposed to be there, but they were there. In fact, it was there that Joseph's bones are buried. But you can't boycott everything. You can't boycott every place. Some places you can't, you, you can't help. You have to take your kids into. You know, right now we're dealing with Target. You know, and we, you go into a bathroom now, you don't know who's going to be there. Because the gender doesn't mean anything anymore. And the, the picture on the door doesn't mean anything anymore. You don't know anymore if you send your little girl. So you can't just necessarily send your little girl into the ladies' bathroom and wait outside. Now it's two by two. You've got to go in there. You didn't ask for it. This is the culture. This is the world that we're living in. We're tearing down and destroying Western civilization, biblical values, integrity, the moral law. It's just who we are. You, 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 you know, target hired a Satanist to, to develop a line of T-shirts for your children. You look at the world, the media, the entertainment, the peers, the sports industry, you look at all of it, and you think, I cannot send my children into this world alone, and I can't go into this world alone, and you can't go into this world alone. We need two by two, and we need to be walking in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the bottom line. Dinah was alone, and that was a mistake. And you may say, well, you're belaboring this a lot. That's right. That's exactly right. Because last Sunday, I expect Russell to go home and look at Jalen and look at Davion and look at, and look, at his, look at those older brothers and say, listen, do not go through that light. At Belvedere and Raymond Row without first stopping and looking, I don't care if it's green, do you understand me, son? Why? Because there's accountability. We're living in a different day. We're living in a lawless land. All our values that we hold to are being trampled underfoot. And this is the land that Dinah was in. And it was a land that she not, should not have been in. There's a principle here. Children, faith, family, spouse, friends, all of us. Imagine we need each other. You have every right to ask me and I have every right to ask you, are you walking with Jesus Christ? How is your fellowship and your relationship with Christ right now? I said something to somebody I dearly love a while back. I said, you do not read your Bible like you used to. And it broke their hearts. It broke their heart. You and I can't send our children. We can't send each other. We can't, and I wrote this down. This is another principle. I want you to listen. You and I can't send the people that we love into a situation that we've not prepared them for. Dinah wasn't prepared to go into that area. She, didn't, she lacked the maturity. Oh, she was physically probably developed. She probably at 15 looked like a woman. But the reality is she was not developed up here. 
Do you know that your brain, young people, is developing until you're 25 years of age? Did you know, young people, the reason you can't go get off an airplane and go rent a car is because they say your brain is still not developed enough yet to rent a car and drive it. Now, I'm not just telling you what the opinion of, uh, of enterprise is. I'm telling you what psychologists and psychiatrists know. Your brain is not developed until you're 25, so your parent is watching out for you to keep you from making stupid decisions in that time of immaturity. And all God's parents said, Amen. Amen. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's a change of life or whatever it is. I want a motorcycle. Now, I had a motorcycle when I was young. I, had a, I drove a, a 250 dirt bike. So I love motorcycles. I've always loved motorcycles. But I want, me a, I want me a bike. And I want me a black Harley. And I've been looking and looking. I want me a big old black Harley. In fact, I said this. I want, a, I want a motorcycle that when I leave the coffee shop and go up and crank it, everybody looks because it rattles the windows. Your preacher's a little bit crazy. So I found me one. I, bought, I got me a beautiful black Harley. And, 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 and I brought it home, and Jeffrey's a motorcycle guy, and he, he looked at it and said, Dad, I think his bike's a little too big for you right now. You need to get used to a smaller bike. So he gave me this Yamaha 250 little small bike to get used to before I took the big bike on. Now, I want you to know something. It irritated me a little bit. Because you know what was in me? Hey, kids, I want my big bike. The ledge said something to me. He said, hey, Dad, you know that guy you like so much on Blue Bloods? He was killed last week in Florida on a motorcycle. You know, uh, what my sons were saying, both of them, is, Dad, you're not ready for that Harley. We're not gonna, we don't want you to get on something that you're not prepared to handle. You see, that was Dinah's problem. Dinah, Dinah wasn't warned. Dinah was raped at 15 years of age. Her innocence was stolen. It was lost forever. And you may say, well, you know, what? why? Because listen, the enemy is going after your innocence. Now, I want you to understand this. The enemy is going after the innocence of your children. The enemy is always wanting your children to face situations, peers, circumstances before they're mature enough to be able to handle it. Because the enemy is trying to steal their innocence, trying to grow them up too quickly, trying to mature them so that they, in that immaturity, make life decisions that forever affect their future. That's what the enemy's doing. It's what he wants. Years ago, I was pastoring in a church, and precious, precious woman came into my office one day. She had asked for counseling, and she came in and sat down, and she just wept uncontrollably. 
wept uncontrollably. And every once in a while she'd just say, Brother, Brother Jeff, I just don't even feel worthy to teach the children. I just don't feel worthy. She kept, I said, you're one of the sweetest, kindest people I know. What do you mean you don't feel worthy? Finally, she looked at me and she said, Brother Jeff, you don't understand. I've had three abortions. And they haunt me every single day of my life. I don't feel worthy. She was married. She had children. And I'm not even sure that her husband or her children knew that she had had multiple abortions. And I wrote this down. The sense of regret in her life had crippled her. She lived on medication. And I wrote this. Yes, Jesus Christ forgives us, but sometimes the baggage that we'll carry through the rest of our life can be excruciating. Because of one bad decision, when we were not walking two by two, when we were going it alone and our own strength, outside of accountability, outside supervision, our innocence stolen in a moment, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. I wrote this principle down. The bottom line is, is the enemy goes after your child's innocence, goes after your innocence in order to get you caught up in things that you will forever carry the guilt and the consequences. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus forgives. He does. I thought Jesus will help me with the consequences. He will. Those consequences can even be your testimony. They can be a good thing. Another principle, children are watching your reaction to a clear injustice, wrong, evil, act of violence, prejudice. Listen. If you and I fail to react, then we are speaking volumes as to our own character, and you and I are turning it over to them at some point in the future when they, in turn, will have to deal with it. Somebody, just like that picture, somebody will deal with it. Every injustice... Everything that you're seeing in this country, the dismantling of values, spiritual principles, little things, gender, LGBTQ, trans, the list goes on and on. All of the issues that we face as a nation, well, it's no big deal. It is what it is. If you and I don't address evil, then the next generation will have no choice. Right? Is that not true? You don't sound like you believe it. Let me give you an example. You're watching TV. There's something on TV that you know is inappropriate. What do you do as a parent? Okay, that's good. You turn it off. You, you, you boycott Target. You turn off the program. But let me tell you something. That don't always work. Because let me tell you what they're going to do when they get on their own. They're going to run to the TV, run to entertainment. You know what I tell parents all the time? You put them on a leash and you overprotect them. You can get ready because when they get their freedom, they're going to go hog wild. Your objective, let's say, satanic t-shirts in Target, 
you make one more trip to Target. You walk that developing, immature mind that's growing, and you want to teach them a biblical worldview. You walk back there and you say, you see this line of T-shirts? Hey, you're, you don't care if management, salespeople, other customers, it doesn't matter to you. You see this line of T-shirts? This line of T-shirts was developed by so-and-so. He's a Satan worshiper. He's a Satanist. And the, the corporate head, Target, they hired a Satanist to develop this line of T-shirts. In other words, son or daughter, this is satanic. This is of the devil. This is evil. This is bad. This can get you into a lot of trouble. So we're not coming into Target no more. Because we need to make an example. We, we don't want to continue to give money over to, a, to a, a department store, a business, so that they can continue to make these mistakes. We have to say something. And on the way out, oh, by the way, see that bathroom right there and that picture? We got pictures up there because nobody can read anymore. Right? So we have to put a picture up there where the picture don't mean anything now. Words don't mean anything now. The picture doesn't. But you're going to teach your children... A biblical worldview. You're, you're, you're walking them through this world two by two. And you and I are doing the same. And if something comes on or something is done that we know is wrong, then we take the Bible, the Scripture, our final authority, and it becomes our litmus test. You see, imagine, let me ask you this. Do you think Dinah would have been raped if all nine of her brothers had been with her? We are laughing. Let me tell you, I, C Camille is a sweet, sweet child. Anybody knows Camille knows Camille's that way. Now, Maxine looks like she could put up a pretty good fight. Now, imagine somebody's going to hurt Camille, and there is Davion, Jalen, and Derry, and Junior. He's smiling real big. There's your brothers around. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think anybody's going to be able to harm Camille? You see Junior's head going back and forth? Boy, that's a sweet brother, Junior. Proud of you. You see, that's how we go through life. When things are wrong, and this was the problem with Jacob, Jacob did not react. His reaction should have been immediately, and it was not. He waited till his sons came in from the field. And when the sons came in, they had already heard about it, and they came in angry. And basically, the bottom line, they were saying, Dad, where's your anger? Why aren't you upset? This man's treated our sister like a whore, like a prostitute. Don't you think we need to do something about it, Dad? You see, when you and I don't react to evil, we send a message. Let me give you another example. Shayla and I, we were, at, we were at a First Baptist Church in Louisiana, come back from Africa, speaking on missions. You've heard me tell this story. But we're speaking on missions. Now, my kids are sitting there. And a man comes in, he's a racist. He hates me because of my stance when in the Natchez area, taking a stand. He hates me. So he comes over and he has his arms folded. He's in the pew. We're sitting there in the pew waiting for the pastor to come out. I'm the speaker that day. So he's sitting there kind of looking at his buddy behind us and he's got a scour on his face. And he says, you know, uh, those people just need to stay in their own communities. They don't need to be coming in our church. 
It's about what he sounded like to me. Racist. And at a certain point, I looked at him, and then I looked at my kids, and I said, uh, I said, Tererai um, means listen. We just come back from Africa. I said, Munhuani. I said, that man, he's stupid. And I said it in the language of the Shona people, and my kids began to giggle and laugh. Sheila laughed, and he looked, and he realized that we were talking in another language, and he walked away. I let my kids know immediately we don't tolerate that. Last week, we had somebody get mad over me saying the word, uh, it is what it is, begin to mumble, that's our, that's our word, that's our word. We say that. Well, I, I, I didn't know that. I've been hearing that since I was born. I'm a lot older than he is. It is what it is. It's the way it is. Can't do nothing about it. Old folks been saying that for generations. But sweet Alan, I love Alan. One of our deacons went over and said, you're going to have to hold it down. Man came back Wednesday night. Two of our kindest, sweetest men, Willie and Russell. No, I'm teasing. They basically looked at him and said, you can't, you can't behave like that here. It was a black pastor that came to visit me, and Willie came in and told me that he wanted to see me. I knew why he wanted to see me. You know what I told Willie? I said, Willie, you go back out there and tell him I don't talk to a racist. He can leave. You see, when you have a biblical worldview, prejudice is prejudice. It doesn't matter the color. When you're governed by the Baptist preacher who affected civil rights, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., remember, he said, I want my kids to be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. You see, that's a biblical worldview. You stand against prejudice. You don't care where it comes from. You just don't want it. And you do it publicly. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, but I want you to see this, and then we're going to pray. Look at, chapter, uh, look at chapter 34, Genesis 34. Now, I'm going to read it, and then we'll close in a moment. I want you to look at this. Chapter uh, 34, down at uh, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, who had carried out this act of killing all the men in that community, including the one that had raped their daughter, their sister. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites. The people living in this land were few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Now look at chapter 35. I want you to see this. This is critical. Verse 1. Then what? Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel, settle there, build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Everybody looked this way. You know what God told him to do? God told him, you need to get out of there. You need to get out of there. You don't have no business in the Hivite territory. You don't have no business in this environment. Abraham, I meant, uh, Jacob, you're where you're not supposed to be. You're doing what you're not supposed to be doing. You're living in, in the Hivite territory. You're buying land. You're settling down. You're doing all this. Listen, you're becoming a citizen of the world. Get up! And go to Bethel. And you know where Bethel was? 
Bethel was where he met God. God said, I want you to go back where you first met me. Some of you parents, let me tell you, you mess with porn, you mess with this, you mess with alcohol, you mess with drugs, you're closet alcoholic, you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, you're doing some things, you're flirting around in your marriage, you're doing some things you know have the ability of destroying the people that you love. Young people, you get caught up in sexual promiscuity, you start dabbling in this, dabbling in that, living in the world, and before long you destroy your future and it's gone. And nothing can be done to bring it back. You know what God says to Jacob? He says, Jacob, get up, pack your stuff up, and go to Bethel because Bethel is where you met me. And you watch what they do. I want you to see this now. Because some of you in this room, some of you listening need to do this. So Jacob, verse 2, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress. Now everybody stay with me. This is critical. Uh, answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and their rings in their ears. Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Now watch this, verse 5, then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Let me ask you, why did Jacob not respond when his daughter was raped? Out of fear. He said, they'll kill me. But then you hear me, when you and I are living in obedience, when we put away the things of the world, and we bury them and we put them away, and we do it in our marriage, and we do it in our family, and we start living for Christ, and we get our lives in the center of God's perfect will, living in obedience to His Word, listen, all hell trembles. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. Nothing. He said, these people will kill me. They'll destroy me. Now he's walking in victory. And guess who's trembling and in fear? Everyone else. I tell you, you listen. I used to take that cross out there in that hallway and I'd walk these streets. I remember dragging that cross one day down to that corner, I did it more than once, and preaching. And my friend, I don't know if God has a PA system up in heaven, but He would send my voice echoing as if I was using a PA system, echoing on every corner. I could see some people, they'd start, listen, they'd get up to that corner, you could see fear in their faces. Some of them would roll the windows out, down. Some of them would roll them up. Some of them would give me a thumbs up and say, Amen, preach on. Some of them would give me the finger and shout obscenity as they drove by. But I'll never forget one woman. I don't know who she was. I'll never forget her. She came to that. She was walking. And she came to a corner, caddy corner, to cross from me. Maybe it should come from Dollar General. I don't know. And I was preaching and I was talking about 
how Christ loves you and He wants to set you free and, and all of this. This woman was walking, getting ready to come down, come down Raymond Road, and she took off screaming, running in the opposite direction. And do you know why? I believe the enemy had such control of her life that hearing the Word of God and the truth of Scripture was more than she could bear. My friend, God will not always strive with you. You hear me. He won't always strive with you. He'll give you chance after chance, time after time, time after time, and on and on it goes. But listen to me, parent. While you're dabbling in sin, your children may be going into a place and a putting themselves in a position where they'll lose their innocence and their life will be forever affected because you were not walking in the Word of God in obedience. Some of you young people, you got your whole life ahead of you, your whole future. Good looking. You could be anything you wanted to be. You know, I'm a kid in Yazoo City. I would, hey, listen, mediocre grades. Didn't even like school. My dad had to taught me stay to stay in the school I don't want to. I didn't want to. But let me tell you, I've traveled the world, been in Europe, seen London, seen Big Ben. I've watched elephants in Africa roll and lay over and completely disappear in the water. I've been in a place, a refuge, where I had lion cubs playing and jumping all over me. I've been in places where I was driving a four-wheel drive in a, in a remote area where there was nothing and nobody and all of a sudden hear the sound of the African singing hallelujah. God can take your life and He can do more than you'll ever dream. But you can't dabble in the world and expect Him to do. And moms and dads of young children, your children are depending on you. Parents of college students, they're still vulnerable. They're still open to the enemy. You can't lose contact. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we realize that Jacob, a man that God would call Israel, for he wrestles with God and prevails. We thank you, dear Lord, for the testimony and the witness of Jacob. And oh, as a parent, his life was hard. Sibling rivalry, anger, bitterness, dear Lord, hurt, pain, sorrow. A daughter here raped, sons that are so angry that they take matters in their own hands. A dad who is slow to get angry. And Lord, sometimes that's the fault of the parent. The parent needs to speak out when there's something that is wrong. Even, dear Lord, at the cost of fellowship, even with their own children. Sometimes we have to speak out and speak truth, regardless of who it may hurt. Forgive us when we don't. But Lord, we thank you for the testimony of of Jacob as he realized as his family was falling in and collapsing all around him. In that moment, Jacob met God. God said to him, Jacob, you need to get up. You need to put away these foreign 
things that have come into your life and into the life of your family and in your people. Jacob, you need to leave this ungodly life, this ungodly world system that you've been getting called up in. And you need to go back to Bethel. You need to go back to that bedside where you knelt and ask Jesus to come into your heart. You need to go back to that business where you got up from your desk and you walked around and you put your head down into a chair and you wept and you cried and you said, Lord, forgive me. You need to go back to that baptism when you remember when that smiling preacher held your hand as you walked down into the water, as you looked out and saw family and friends gathered to watch you take that step of faith publicly by being baptized and saying, I'm a part of the body of Christ. You need to go back where you met God. And you need to go back clean and purified because you purified yourself. Will it be easy? No, it won't. But oh, you'll have a loving Savior who is there assisting and guiding all along the way. And when you come from Bethel and you step back out of that room, whenever you do business with God, you will be a powerful tool in the hand of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Lord, I pray for parents. Give them courage. They face such uncertain times. Give them boldness. May they remember that little peace sign. May they remember two by two. Two by two. May they realize that siblings need to watch out for one another. They need to love each other. They need to let go of grievances and love each other and come together. And when a sibling has been wrong, they need to say they have. Families, parents, moms and dads need to say to their children, we've been wrong. I, I've been wrong. I've glossed over this, allowed it to fester and continue. Lord, forgive me. Pastors have to say that. Deacons. Families have to say that. Dads have to say that. Moms have to say that. We're coming together again as a family. And we're going to do it the right way this time. So Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, and they're here today in the sound of my voice, whether they're listening by, by later on, I pray, dear Lord, that they would do business with you. Put away the things of the world. Begin to walk in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ and find out that that's the best life of all. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.